0: A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard, it can move anywhere you want Avon, Colton Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems.
1: There is and a corridor, second. and the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display,
0: then, I eventually had to go down to the cellar, that's the display department, with a torch. The lights were probably gone, so had the stairs. Yours is number six. I am not
1: a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 400. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are continuing our discussion about Five Children and It. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello.
0: 400 episodes and 15 years of podcasting, Brian. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So, yes, we are continuing our look at this classic BBC tea time adaptation of a children's Classic. This is from nineteen ninety one, a six part adaptation of the E. Nesbitt novel of the same name. Twenty-five minute episodes or thereabouts, six of them in total in color, and a fun adventure with a delightful animatronic sand fairy,
1: Brian. Yes, indeed. So continuing on from where we were before, we have this mysterious Samoyed or Sand Fairy who is in this sand dune and has the ability to grant wishes. To grant one wish each day to this group of children, this group of But as ever, in these sorts of stories, the wishes don't always go exactly how you want them to. The idea be careful what you wish for is something that is definitely something that comes up here. When they ask for riches, they are given a sandpit full of gold coins, which it turns out are just about impossible to spend. And they also get the children in trouble with the police.
0: They do indeed. We have an Edwardian policeman, a police uh, station... And it's probably just as well that the wishes and the effects of the wishes wear off at sunset in this case, Brian.
1: Yes, that's right. Some of them are definitely not things that help them out.
0: But of course, if you, as we suggested last time, if you wish for wings and the ability to fly with wings, that's great up until the point, but don't put yourself on a tall... And somewhat inaccessible tower just before you decide to have a little nap and then wake up after sunset when your wings will be gone, that's not going to work out well for you either.
1: Yes, absolutely. And wishing that all of you look beautiful is not very helpful when you go home for a meal and the nanny doesn't recognize you or invite you in. Indeed, that's right. And also, be careful what you
0: say and your choice of words around your baby brother If you accidentally wish that somebody else would come and look after the child, the baby, the lamb, then you may find yourself having to fend off people who then want to kidnap the lamb and take it away. Um, And that produces, as ever, unforeseen consequences. It certainly does. And also don't wish that your baby brother was old enough to look after himself. Because very soon he will be and he won't want anything to do with this group of four children running around in the woods. He will want to be off doing grown-up things and will um, try to escape from the story. So, yes, as ever, be careful what you wish for. Yes, indeed.
1: So that brings us into talking a little bit about children's literature and some of the tropes and ideas that come up. So Five Children and It uses this well-known idea of unintended consequences for magic wishes. It also uses this idea that was especially common in the 20th century of children arriving at a new place and discovering some magical item or magical character while exploring the area. So we saw this with another Edith Nesbitt story in The Phoenix and the Carpet. We saw it with The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, The Children of Green Know, even in Wurzel Gummage, and many others besides. It's a very interesting trope that comes up, as you say, Brian, time and time again, the
0: sort of wonders of children being in a new environment. And in discovering adventures or magic in that place,
1: yeah. And that one may be something where Edith Nesbit was quite early with it. You know, when you're talking about a book from 1902, many of the other examples were later. She may be one of the
0: first to do it. I mean, in fact, I think you were talking about before, Brian, that she's she's a sort of pioneer of children's literature.
1: Yes some people who study children's literature consider her to be the first or one of the first people to write modern children's literature in the sense that it brings these fantastical things into the real world and mixes them with everyday things as opposed to earlier things like the works of Lewis Carroll or Beatrix Potter where it was a more fantastical world that things took place in.
0: And of course, you know, you don't have have to think too far recently for other works of children's literature which have been very successful which put a child in a new environment with magic going on uh, obviously there's the huge success of the harry potter series but even on children's television there's been programs like the queen's nose and the quiller and so on where children find themselves in, with some sort of magical item that brings them complications and adventures so yes it's something that's become a part of children's literature, but E. Nesbeth may have been one of the first.
1: Yeah, she was definitely influential, and when you read up about her, she's very clearly a big deal in children's literature and was considered to be quite influential.
0: And it fascinates me that with the stories that we've covered on the podcast, Brian, that there's so often uh, Victorian children, like Alice, or these Edwardian children, or even, you know later on children around about the time of the Second World War, seem to be left to their own devices so much. They 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 go out of the house during the long summer holidays and they go off to entertain themselves and get into all sorts of uh, adventures and magical situations. And of course, their parents in these stories seem quite often absent. They're either been their children have been evacuated or they've been sent to a relative for the school holidays because their parents on the other side of the world, as in the children of Green Know the parents just don't seem to be around very much. Of course, you know, they may be orphaned children as well. It's just, it's an interesting concept that comes up again and again in this sort of fiction.
1: Yeah, there seems to be something that appeals to children about these stories that take children away from their families and into sort of their own space that's separate from that, which is interesting.
0: It is, yeah. Very interesting stuff.
1: It's also worth noting that this TV adaptation of some of the more problematic depictions of people from other countries from other places that we saw in the phoenix and the carpet with some uh, yeah rather dated and unpleasant things there this avoids that which is nice
0: yes we did see that in the 70s on british tv and it was unfortunate i guess on television uh, in many places, I know from reading the Wikipedia page that there's an episode in the original novel, of Five Children and It, where they encounter Native American people. Although, again, for the, using the language of the time, they're not called that in the novel. And I think wisely the BBC have avoided that episode. And if, I think they've probably expanded the episode involving the castle and an attack on the castle by a group of sort of medieval knights instead, Brian. Probably the BBC, I think, being quite wise and sensitive at that in 1991, not to do that.
1: Yes, I think so. So I think that brings us to talk about some of our own thoughts about this a little more than we already have. So, Eamon, what did you like about Five Children and It? So,
0: as ever, we cannot fault the BBC for a period adaptation of a classic of literature, either children's or adult, um, they're always spot on. So I'd have to say that it looks great. Before we get to the Samyidd itself, I mean, just to say the costumes, the locations, the sets... Hair and makeup all look pretty good to me, Brian. I think it looks quite good. And the music by Michael Omer is also nice as well. So the look and sound of the production was great for me. What about yourself? I would agree with that.
1: I also want to single out the Samiad because I think they did a wonderful job with that character. The voice performance is full of character and full of emotion. And the animatronic puppet is... Very engaging. It looks. It really looks like it's having these conversations with the children, and they're acting like they're having conversations with it. It was really well done, and I I like that effect and that character a lot. Yeah,
0: I think the Samiad is a triumph. It's it's you know it's an amazing uh, animatronic puppet. It's an amazing performance by Francis Wright operating uh, the puppet and doing the voice. And the fact that it does all seem to be on location, the Samyad scenes, Brian, as far as I can tell, those children seem to be in an actual sand dune with the actual animatronic puppet and the complexities of shooting that and getting Francis Wright underneath some sort of. You know, structure which was topped off with sand and gravel in order for him to operate the puppet it must have been enormous. And I, I'm, I really want to see some pictures of how they did it, Brian. I'm fascinated by it.
1: And we see the samiad come out of the sand, you know, be buried completely covered by sand, and come come out and be visible. And that. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable that in this BBC children's serial in the early 1990s, they were doing things like that. Yeah, it's
0: great and it's completely believable. It looks like a weird little goblin-like sort of sand fairy creature. It's got a personality, it's got a sort of certain wit and, as you say, it's a slightly curmudgeonly grumpy magical creature. Um, but it's beautifully done and I can understand why the child actors, the four kids, had no problems interacting with it as a sort of... Magical being as a creature, they they would seem completely believable to them and to me. So I think the Samiad is probably, I'm going to say, the
1: highlight of the whole show. It's so well done. Okay, very good. Now, talking about the children, we've had, you know, the group of four siblings like this. We've seen that before. We had these same characters from the Edith Nesbitt books we watched in The Phoenix and the Carpet. And we saw another group of four siblings in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and another of the Chronicles of Narnia serials, but it has been suggested that E. Nesbitt's work may have been an influence on C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia, and I think these four children we have here are quite similar to the four children from the Narnia books. So, I want to ask with these particular actors and these particular characters, what do you think of this bunch of four children as compared to some of the others we've seen? I was perfect happy with them I thought they were great Uh, you know
0: um, sometimes child actors I find can be a bit annoying and slightly overly drama school I thought these four actors who don't seem to have had a great deal of other acting credits apart from this series but I thought they were fine I thought they were absolutely fine in it I will say that your point about the four characters in the Narnia books being very similar in terms of age distribution the sort of balance between two brothers and two sisters and the personalities of the children you know the older siblings and then the younger children who are slightly more tricky is it's fascinating they are it's quite similar as you say brian
1: yeah if you look at them in order from oldest to youngest and compare one to one there there are a lot of similarities there there really are it's well spotted and it hadn't occurred to me but you're absolutely right but yeah
0: the performances i thought were okay brian what did you think of the actors
1: i thought they were pretty good certainly There was nothing that detracted from it. I think they were well cast. And I think they were, it was a group that went well together. I think their chemistry together as a group of young actors was pretty strong. So I was pretty pleased with that.
0: I mean, I could perhaps, you know, I could almost have done with more Samiad than the kids. Because obviously, once they've made their wish for the day, they go off and have their adventure, which happens without Samiad. And, you know, things go wrong and they interact with various other grown-ups and so on. By the way, look out for an early screen performance from the actor Andy Nyman as the baker's boy, who's gone on to a very successful career. And, and we also glimpsed him briefly briefly in the woman in black and the nigel neal adaptation from 1989 but yeah so most of the kids go off and have their adventure and actually i could have done with more of the puppet
1: brian so you would have liked some of the the phoenix and the carpet approach where the puppet character go you know travels along with the with the children and gets into some trouble as well i'm probably you know asking
0: too much of the bbc special effects department in 1991 i think they did remarkably well to have this sort of waist up creature that sits in the sand but probably taking it out of the sand and going on further on the adventures with the children flying or whatever perhaps i'm asking too much i just enjoyed the performance and the actual creation so much that i sort of i missed him when he wasn't on screen
1: yes that's fair enough it's clear that both of us had a lot of fun with this but we should talk about negatives so what were some of the things that you didn't like as much about this so i think there's
0: the one obvious problem brian which is we've sort of seen this show before haven't we and it was called the phoenix and the Carpet in the 1970s. Yes. There is a remarkable similarity. It's Obviously, it's the same children. It's a different magical creature. But apart from the fact that the phoenix can fly and travel with them, otherwise, the concept of the magical creature that grants one wish a day and that wish almost invariably going wrong is pretty similar to the sequel novel The Phoenix and the Carpet, i don't know did that stand out for you brian as well
1: well it was definitely reminiscent the nature of the wishes is different because it's a much more sort of specific contained type of thing that the the phoenix and the carpet do but there certainly are a lot of similarities there no no question that didn't bother me as much i don't think but i did notice that what i will say is that there's an issue of it being repetitive within itself you have very similar things happening each episode quite often and they come back to similar ideas and often quite similar things that we saw earlier in the show
0: yes you know the plot is basically the same the children make a wish or they accidentally make a wish and the Samiad grants it and then they go off and it all goes wrong and then it's all sort of neatly tied up and things are put right by the end of the episode, ready for the wish wishing song and we're on to next week, I guess, Brian. So, yes, yeah, there is a certain repetition within the show and I noticed the repetition of the sort of... basically the same idea turns up in the phoenix and the carpet.
1: yes. I did also notice that we seem to have some pretty smart kids here, but they're often making some decisions that don't reflect that, that are just not smart ones. I can see it as something that moves the plot forward in each episode and that sort of thing. But some of that was obvious enough that it seemed a little bit strange that they would do things that they clearly know that are going to to cause issues for them.
0: Yes. I mean, the kids who make very smart choices about their wishes and their actions, as I've probably said last episode, don't make quite such uh, interesting drama, I guess. It's when things go wrong that it becomes interesting. Particularly to its uh, young audience, I suppose.
1: Yeah, and and some of it was absolutely fine, but there were some some points where they do things that were a little bit strange.
0: Okay, did you have anything else that you noticed in the negative column for this show, Brian?
1: I don't think so. The things that were there all sort of fit into the genre and the structure of what this kind of uh, this kind of show is and this kind of story is yeah i think that's sort of where we are with that there is obviously i mean apart from
0: the wonderful animatronic of the Samiad itself there is the little bit of green screen or color separation overlay type film in particularly the children's flying sequences what did you think of those did you find those sort of charming or did some of the effects look a bit creaky
1: i didn't mind it i thought for what we were watching it was you know, good enough to work. It got the idea across. I
0: thought it was okay, actually, for 1991. I think, you know, I think we talked about this when we did The Phoenix and the Carpet, that in the 70s, the BBC was really getting to grips with that. And by 1991, they've got it pretty good. And we don't get too much of those sort of edge of the figure effects that I sometimes notice. So I thought it wasn't too bad, actually. And I I found it of the charming variety in how well it works. So, yeah, it's okay.
1: Yeah, I think they also, at that point, knew when they shouldn't use green screen effects, uh, where some of the, uh, you know, certainly the first half of the 1970s, sometimes they were using it when a different approach might have been better. Right.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Once a new technology comes in for television or film, they perhaps overuse it at first and then uh, learn how to use it more judiciously.
1: Yes, for a while you have you have your new hammer and everything looks like a nail but Yeah, as you say, they had matured with those kinds of things, certainly by this point. Okay, so
0: I guess we're moving towards time to make our own recommendations about buying this DVD or streaming show from 1991, Five Children and It. Would you like to start us off, Brian? Sure.
1: I had fun with this. I think it's enjoyable. And I would say as something to introduce children to, This is a really fun one for just watching it yourself. It can be fun too. I would maybe spread the episodes out a little bit rather than watching a bunch at once. But yeah, I will recommend this. It's a fun one. It's it's worth a watch.
0: Okay. I mean, I preferred it greatly to The Phoenix and the Carpet. I think The Phoenix and the Carpet from the 70s that we watched had a good deal of problems about it. And I think the Samiad is the sort of steals the show as being just a remarkable little puppet animatronic effect. So, yeah, I would agree with you, Brian. I think this is a good show. I think it's probably going to be of most interest to people who remember it fondly from their own either childhood or showing it to, to their young family And it is pretty cheap to get hold of. You know, only a fiver over here to stream it for six episodes. So yeah, I'm going to give it a cautious recommendation as well. I think it's a good show, well made, doesn't have any problematic elements. So yeah, five children it's good fun. I say check it out.
1: Yeah, I think calling it a cautious recommendation is not bad. And it's of older things that you could show to children now. I think this is a pretty Good choice. Very
0: good. But of course, if you've seen it, if you remember this show, if you watched it as a youngster or with your young family and you've got your own opinions about it, please get in touch
1: on the Facebook group or the Twitter and let us know what you thought. Absolutely. So, in summary, Five Children and It introduces us to a group of five siblings, four that we see most of the time, and then their baby brother. And they are off in the country and encounter a Samiad, a sand fairy, who can grant wishes, one wish a day, which will only last until sunset, at which point its effects disappear. And they take advantage of this and make a number of different wishes. And we learn about the mistakes and things that their wishes are not quite what they want them to be in the end. And a whole variety of things happen in this way with comical results and teaching results. And we go through the story learning about things through these different wishes
0: great fun from the bbc in 1991 absolutely and please come back and join us next time when i'm pleased to report that spectrum is green and we are returning to the world of jerry anderson for our yearly visit and this time we are looking at jerry anderson's new captain scarlet from 2005 and pretty excited about this one as well brian
1: yes this is the computer animated captain scarlet series so that'll be a fun one to talk about for sure great stuff until then you can find us at britishinvaders.com all of our episodes are available there 400 of them now So feel free to take a listen to those. And you can also search for us on Facebook and you can find our Facebook group there and join in on some of the discussion. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at Pod.
0: Yes, please give us a follow on Twitter and let us know what you thought. And also point your internet browser at vognetwork.com which is the voice of Geeks Network. British Invaders is proud member there you'll find various other geek related shows twitch streams podcasts gaming all sorts of geek fun at Vognetwork.com.
1: absolutely so thank you for listening and this is brian from canada signing off
0: yes thank you very much until next time it's eamon in england also signing off and saying of course please be careful what you wish for